Hey, it's Lisa, and welcome back to another episode of Nashville on the Rocks. Today, we'll be talking to one of the most respected and revered hard rock singers of all time, a critically acclaimed vocalist and Norwegian Grammy Award winner. He is the only American inductee into the Norwegian Popular Music Hall of Fame. In his long-standing career, spanning four decades as the frontman for the Norwegian band TNT, he has sold millions of albums and received numerous gold and platinum awards. And one thing is for sure, he is still doing it, writing and performing at a high level. Please welcome to the show, Tony Harnell. Hey, Tony. Thank you so much for coming in the studio. Um, welcome to Nashville on the Rocks. Thank you. Yes. Great to be here. Good Yay. to see you guys. Ah, I'm so excited Good to, to have you, you here. Yes. Uh, now, we were supposed to get you in um, a couple months ago, and yes. there was a unfortunate event that you had COVID. Yes, again. Uh, for the second time. Yeah. For the second time. Yeah. Some fun stuff, man. Huh? Yeah, really no. fun. So that was a bummer, but it's okay. Yep. You're here now, and we've just been waiting for this episode. So I'm very happy that you're here. Thank you. It's good to see you again. It's great to be here. Yeah. yeah. Um, awesome. Oh, my God. So I figured let's just dive in and let people know. Um, I'm sure a lot of our uh, people that are listening, a lot of our uh, listeners out there already know who you are. Um, but let's give you like an introduction. Like You're the most known for the lead singer of TNT, which has been a wonderful rock band for what 30 40, 40 well two years probably two years before i joined of 84 so they started in 82 so yeah i've been there for 40 years god off damn. and on that's amazing yeah it's you guys have had such a successful long-term career and then you have like several like your um solo projects that you've done and i'm just really excited to get uh ask you more questions and to have people know more about you and have you talk about the things that are of interest to you, uh, what you're doing now with TNT, what you got going on, you know, in your uh, personal life, in your musical aspirations, like all of that good stuff. Sure. I can't wait. All right. Awesome. So um, let's start out. So you're originally from California. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And were you always into music? Oh, yeah. Um, my mom was an opera singer. A lot of people know that. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, when I mean, she was 19 when she had me. So she was in the throes of her, you know, training, vocal oh training. God. So I was, I'm sure, hearing all of that while I was in the womb, um, hearing her, her lessons and her performances, if there were any at that time. And That's then adorable. When I was out, um, I was uh, the little opera brat that was hanging out with her at her uh, vocal coach and, and at her performances. I was backstage and, you oh know, Oh my gosh. There. Yeah. I didn't know that she, uh, she was 19. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, she was just kind of getting started. <laughs> she was. And, um, and she retired early, but, uh, but she was very, very serious about it for years uh, when I was growing up. And that was probably the... Not probably it was the catalyst for all the moving that we did. We yeah. moved quite a lot, but yeah, I grew up in uh, born in San Diego and um, spent most of my youth in California, mostly in Southern California, mm -hmm. but a little bit in San Francisco as well. We lived there for a couple of years, um, but yeah, from the time I was 
I remember being five or six years old and being completely enthralled with Glenn Campbell mm -hmm. and so into it that it, it probably was unnatural for a kid that young to have like a big musical hero like that. But I had all the records and my grandmother would invite her friends and my teachers over for these little concerts where I'd oh, put the record cool. on and sing to the records. You know? <laughs> and and it was always a part of my life, even though my main interests mm -hmm. seemed to be something else on the side. Whether, you know, if we lived near the beach, I was probably body surfing and obsessed with that. <clears throat> and um, as I got into my teenage years, obsessed with, um, with skateboarding and surfing, and I mm -hmm. became a professional skateboarder for a, a couple minutes and thought I was going to be a pro surfer. Um, but through through all of that growing up music was always super prominent yeah and when i it wasn't until i actually got into it for real later that i realized i had been sort of training for it my whole life without realizing that sure. i had been training for it you know i did the whole standing in front of the mirror with a hairbrush <laughs> singing to my favorite records in my you know 14 15 years old you yep. know everybody did that yeah i mean back then you didn't have like microphones or iPhones or whatever, you used a hairbrush. That's right. That's what you did. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, was it like you were singing in a car and stuff when you guys were on a family trip, that type of thing too? Yeah, we'd sing in the car. My mom and I would sing together. We she loved the Eagles and and you know, she even though she was an opera singer, the music she played at home was vast and it was very diverse so she had all of the folk stuff that was going on in the 60s and 70s um always the beatles mm -hmm. every new beatle record was on the turntable oh awesome and so i was exposed to everything my aunt was a little younger than my mom so she was a little more into the harder rock so yeah i remember when i was about nine or ten for christmas or my birthday she gave me a stack of singles 40 cool. 45s like zeppelin credence three dog night like all just all this really oh, cool that's stuff awesome. so yeah i was just that sounds like a up. very ant move to do i yeah. feel like that's very she was strong. like the younger cool hippie kind of she had like the fringe vests you know and really <laughs> long hair and she drove a cool uh, corvair that had like flower stickers all over oh, it. oh that's awesome yeah you and i always say this is that you and Dan grew up in like the best time era. Like you had some of the best formative music out there. Yeah. You just can't beat it. Like it was, it was the first of its, of its kind. Yeah. And then you got to experience everything. You know what it is too. It's, it was kind of like it was a lot of ambitious songwriting and, yeah. and yeah. Uh, people were so proficient at their instruments, man. Yep. With that classic rock and songwriting and mm -hmm. lyrics and a lot of attention to detail back then, I think. Yeah. I agree, and it's interesting you bring that up because I'm often thinking about how things have changed over the decades. And for example, as a singer looking for band members um, mm -hmm. from time to time, I always find, I think back to like the 60s and 70s, you, you really didn't have guitar players mm -hmm. who couldn't sing. Or at least didn't attempt to sing. Right. Singing as a major part of what they did. It was almost like you, you had to. Yeah. You couldn't You're get a gig. You're expected to. You're expected to. Um, most of them could, mm -hmm. even if they couldn't, they mm -hmm. did anyway. Yeah. I mean, Jimi Hendrix is known for his guitar playing. But right. he sang right. on his records. And he <laughs> sang pretty pretty well, I think, you know, yeah. for, for what he did. Um, 
even Bob Dylan, you know, I mean, he was a, primarily a songwriter, but there he was. So it's just, it's interesting to me how hard it is these days to find both a great guitar player mm-hmm. and then does he sing? Can he sing harmonies? Yeah, you know? absolutely. You look back at the 70s, Queen, they all sang. Eagles, they all sang. Right. They were all bona fide lead singers. Yeah, really ambitious sure. about what they did. And, you know, there's yeah. nothing more... Uh, disappointing is when you go into a club and you know there's backing vocals coming up you know but then the guitar player bass player might just kind of nonchalantly pretend they're gonna go sing it and they just kind of mumble into the mic and they don't really commit to it commit Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. that's what it is man i mean you know it's it's a good point to bring up because it i think it hasn't been very long, you know, since, I mean, classic rock, I mean, it, it's, you think about it, it's like classic rock 50 yeah. years ago, 70s, but like to see, it's like anything else, like it changes and morphs over time and then it becomes diluted depending on what's happening. Mm-hmm. So it's good to make an, it's just an assessment of that. It's not to knock the things that are happening nowadays, no. but it's true, you know? Like, I just feel like when, when DA pointed out, you know, that, how proficient and you did how proficient musicians were it's just that's been on my mind quite a lot when Mm -hmm. i when i start to seek out you know um, musicians and of course the guys that can sing yeah are the most in demand you can never they can they're never free yeah to work sure i i think i think that i could see that all around because someone's looking for that and that's hard to find so make a note to uh musicians out there Try get to your singing chops together. Yes. Yeah. Get your shit together, especially with your singing chops. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of just, you know, muscle memory and just working it and well, just yeah, opens getting doors accurate for you. and, you know, blending is the key, man. Exactly. You know? But but you know, in all fairness, I I have played guitar off and on since I was probably, you know, pretty young. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say in my early teens. Um, and I drop it for a few years, pick it up again. And I got real serious about it in my late teens and kind of played, you know, a little bit all the time, but I never really mastered it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of goes back on me too, is I would say this to singers, don't be like me, learn how to play guitar, learn how to play <laughs> piano, right. learn an instrument so that you can be more a part of the musicians around you. So sure. it's both for singers and for musicians is try to have at least both of those things going for you. I think you that's know? fair. I, I've tried to pick up guitar several times in the past and just don't have the the mind for it. Uh which maybe one day I'll get I'll get it'll be different, right? You know, babe? All you need is like three or four chords that you know in the back of your head and then yeah. the next thing you know you're on your couch watching a football game and you got the guitar <laughs> on your lap and yeah, then right. it just you kinda you start to just play all the yeah, time. That's it just becomes a thing. Okay, so a note for singers out there, do your homework too. Yeah. Be, be more a part of the music that you can make and it's just more versatile plus you can always you can present more completed song ideas to your to your band that's a good point um, you don't have to point. rely on someone else to have songs yep. you can always be creating but the truth is I was writing songs without it, without an instrument and just maybe a beat or something um, when I started yeah. you know you had the vision already yeah, intact you want to write too. you'll yeah. figure out a way to write right. Michael Jackson wrote without really playing an instrument mm-hmm. he would he would Make lay the, down the bass with right. his with his voice yep doo-tun, 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 i know i've seen him do that like, and then he'd lay down it's kind of crazy yeah he'd, he'd create a whole 
series of multi-tracking with his voice doing drums bass dun, 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 <laughs> you know and he'd do all that and he'd get the whole thing okay yeah, well there's to billy get the Jean. idea across right, right? it's all you that know? matters yeah and it works yeah well okay so you so going back you were uh you did play guitar in between what surfing and during surfing you know, right tony while you were surfing yeah you while i'd bring a waterproof <laughs> guitar out no but uh, the main thing I was doing was driving back and forth to the beach. Um, and by that time, when I had my first car at 16, um, I was deeply into metal. I was introduced to metal by a buddy of mine in junior high school who mm -hmm. played guitar. And he was, I'd go over to his house to skate with him in his pool or something because he had an empty pool. In the 70s, there was oh, a drought. Cool. So all the oh. people had to like drain their pools. And that sort of was part of the skateboarding explosion was we'd all be looking for empty pools in people's backyards. Oh, wow. And if you didn't know someone that had one, you were looking for them and finding out when that person was at work and you were jumping over the fence and skating their pool with a lookout. No shit. With somebody That's on the funny. lookout to make sure that, you know, either the cops or the people weren't coming home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. We it's like, it's like, like, how long did it take you to figure out that overground pools don't work with that? They, yeah. Well, we learned. Yeah. No, that was, that was, that was fast. Yeah. So after, after my buddy introduced me, he gave me two records. Um, he's, I said, what is this crazy heavy stuff that you're into? And he said, it's metal, it's heavy metal. Um, and he gave me Judas Priest Stained Glass, and he gave me Rainbow Rising. Hell yeah. So those nice. two records, and then I picked up Rush 2112 and a few other UFO things, and started really getting into it and getting deeply into, in particular, Priest mm -hmm. and, and Rainbow. Um, but having those two singers sort of, you know, I understood later why they, why I was so attracted to that kind of singing. And I, I'm sure it was because my mom was an opera singer mm -hmm. and that type of singing was the closest I had heard mm -hmm. to opera, meaning extreme. Yeah. You could hear that it took a lot of work and practice and care yeah. of the voice. Control. Yeah. It mm -hmm. wasn't just, you know, and I love so many different kinds of music and ironically now uh at my age i'm at now i find myself drifting back more to what i was listening to before i got into metal oh that's like funny. beatles and eagles and yeah you know just singer songwriter stuff and mm -hmm. more harmonizing and and just you know good songs um it, I could have fallen into something that was more like the Eagles that mm -hmm. I was so into mm -hmm. especially in particular Don Henley um and I can do that kind of stuff and I, I do some of that in my acoustic shows um or something a little more like Boston or or Foreigner or something mm -hmm. or Journey um but I just happen to gravitate heavily toward metal and then just joined a lot of metal bands and then the opportunity to be in TNT came up. So it was just this natural progression of, and the time for the music sure. was exactly right. You know, that's what people wanted at that moment. Yep. So it was just the moment in time. It, it was a perfect setup and we'll, having yeah. your mom be an opera singer. And that's kind of cool because I was wondering what kind of music she listened to yeah. when she wasn't listening to her opera, yeah. you know? So that's, that's interesting. So it lined up. So, but you joined TNT early like yeah. you were young yeah so did you were you in a few bands before then or was it was anything that stuck or yeah how did that happen with tnt um once i'd uh, i moved to so i moved to new york kind of against my will when i was uh 16 going on 17 so it was 
probably late July or if I recall August of 79 Mm -hmm. um, somewhere in there hot as hell in New York City um, hot and humid and gross which I had never experienced before (laughs) I was like what is this weather coming from dry California Um, but it's very um, muggy here (laughs) very muggy and um, and I didn't really have a plan Um, and I had finished high school early, so what should have been my senior year, I was like wide open. I was 17, I turned 17 that September, and my mom happened to know a guy who was a professor at uh, Long Island University in Brooklyn, and I showed him my my photography portfolio from high school, Mm because I was really into that from, my dad was a photographer. And uh, I got a scholarship at this University. So suddenly, my, oh, my awesome. senior year of high school turned out to be my um, sophomore year at, uh, is that right? Sophomore? First year? Freshman? Freshman, freshman. year, sorry. Yes. See, this is how out of my, <laughs> my freshman year at, uh, at university. But during that first semester, I was driving with my, I still have my car from California. I was driving down the street, and these kids, two kids that looked like they were in Kiss without makeup on, all black, leather, long black hair. Hey, stop the car. You know, I've told this story before. Um, I rolled my window down very hesitantly, thinking, no. are they going to kick my ass? Or, And they said, no, 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 man. Uh, are you the kid that's been, like, singing through the neighborhood? And I'm like, what do you mean singing through? And I thought, well, I sing in my car all the time. Now I'm driving in, like, this city environment in, in Queens. Mm-hmm. And, um I guess my voice was bouncing off the walls. My windows were down. I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah, you were just doing your thing. I was just doing my thing. And these guys stopped me. They've been looking for me. And they said, we have a band. Would you, you want to come Friday and rehearse with us? I was like, okay. I don't know. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that rehearsal changed everything. Sure. That one night, the smells, the sounds of being in a rehearsal room mm-hmm. with, you know, real musicians and equipment and singing on a mic with reverb, you know, like, yeah. oh my God. Do you remember the first time that you had a drummer? drum and like you're all in a room with a drummer it's like that was magical for me just the whole thing of 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 plugged in loud guitars and the band and and singing live and zeppelin songs and whatever i was doing i was like this is that was it just changed everything and i think it's like the whole like idea of playing live gives you a jolt of something that just if you've never experienced it before you know i just i was deeply into music Mm mm-hmm but I did not really have a plan to be a musician or a singer. It yeah. wasn't in my head even really. But which was weird because all my spare time was spent singing and listening to music. Understandable. Figuring out what are these guys doing with their voices? How mm-hmm. do they do that? How does, you know, Robert Plant sing that way? How does he sing so high? And I remember being in that apartment in Queens, freshly having moved there. List, singing to the Zeppelin records and having a breakthrough one day and figuring out how to sing really high like that. That's awesome. But with no aspirations of doing it for real right. until that moment where these kids stop me in my car and I end up at a rehearsal that Friday night. That is so crazy. Yeah, that is crazy, man. And it's that like, changed the course of my life. Yeah. And that's kind of been, that was, you know, some for better or for worse, that's been sort of a theme. Okay. Was was falling into something. Falling into something. And just going, oh, cool. Well, people seem to like my voice a lot more than they like my photography, even though, even though I got the scholarship and all. Right. And I thought, well, this seems like they're both really hard. Yeah. But people seem to 
think that I'm good at this. Yeah. So six months into my my college, I went to the counselor and said, I think I'm going to leave and pursue music. And they tried to convince me to change my major to music, but I didn't. I just went for it. So to answer your question, from that moment in the early year, early months of turning 17, I guess I just decided. Yeah. And I went to my mom and said, I'm going to do this. She couldn't say anything. Right. I was going to say, what was your mom? What, yeah. what could your mom possibly I mean, say at that point? She really couldn't say anything. So I, I, don't, I don't recall. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there was a little bit of, oh, I don't, you know, maybe just do, you know, change your major to me. I'm sure yeah. that, that came that up. That seems the most logical thing. Well, you're in school. Change yeah. your music to your major to music. But in my mind, I was like, how am I going to get good at this right. if I don't dive into it completely? Yeah. So it was just a random literally a random um series of events that went from that moment with the rehearsal with these guys and then i wasn't in that band very long because i just outgrew them within a couple of months that's how intense i was with it i'm like well if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do it and then i was just looking for i didn't even know if i was looking for opportunities or just better musicians to learn from sure so i just started to climb that way and just oh they're better i'm gonna go for that or someone would hear me randomly like we moved to staten island soon after we were in queens for a little bit and we happened to have this doorman Mm -hmm. in the building we lived in who was a bass player oh cool and he would hear me singing in the apartment and then recommended me for my first pro band oh wow at 17 i was too young to get in the clubs but i was singing in the clubs that is so funny so literally within a year of deciding not even a year within probably six to eight months of saying i'm gonna do this yeah i was playing four nights a week in a professional band in, in down in the South Jersey Philadelphia. Oh, club I circuit. love that. It's it's so interesting to me to know uh I mean the background and how people grew up, you know, because I think that that's just setting up for the formative years. Like I, a lot of people that we've talked to say the same thing. They're like, "Yeah, I was really into sports and then mm-hmm. I was doing this too and then all of a sudden this happened and this happened and yeah. bam." And I was like, "My god." And like, it's like you don't really know your uh your your boundaries of how or your of your potentials like you're kind of yeah. learning that on the fly and you're like holy sure, shit this is validating so how i'm i think i'm good at this you know yep. right and it's it just helps you yeah get to that absolutely point, maybe. i think when you're a kid also um i was lucky had i been because i did live with my grandparents several times when i was growing up because of my mom's career she mm-hmm. i just ended up being there for a year here mm-hmm. a year there had i been with them when all this happened, I'm sure they would have discouraged me. Right. And said, listen, you know, because they did try to keep me in, and God knows why I would leave San Diego. <laughs> I mean, really, it's like, <laughs> people used to ask me that in New York, why would you, why would you leave there? Um, they, I, they reminded me, well, my grandfather reminded me recently that they actually offered to, um, to pay for me to go to uh, college in San Diego. And I don't remember that. And I thought, why didn't I pick that option? But um, you're like, if I did, you wouldn't have been. But all this other stuff yeah. wouldn't. Have, I mean, but that's that's the thing that about life. And I, I have seen this quote from famous philosophers before. Rep, different quotes that basically are the same thing, which is the worst thing you can do in life is be indecisive, mm-hmm. because then you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. But if you if you're at a fork in the road. Mm-hmm. Just choose one. 
it really doesn't matter. Right. Because the universe, if you believe in something greater than what we are, will guide, will, will take care of you whichever path you choose. Yeah. If you're passionate about it. And I was really passionate. I was more passionate. That's, that's what I realized. I liked photography. I was pretty good at it. But I didn't have nearly enough passion the same for passion that I automatically, as soon as somebody handed me a carrot that had something to do with music, mm -hmm. I was like. That makes sense. And that's, I think, why it happened so quickly. Sure. Is because I had always had the passion. I had been training for it my whole life without even knowing it. Sure. So when the opportunity was there, I was kind of ready mm -hmm. for where I was at the time. And I had such good musicians that were older than me around me that taught me. And I, I learned from, you know, just being around these people. Yeah. And that's I part of that. it, you yeah. know, like having the right group of people around you, that man, is. you know, yeah. to kind of push you, you know, that they makes knew sense. I was green, mm -hmm. but they, they also just, I was just this raw right. talent. Yeah. Uh, and, and they just sort of allowed me to observe and learn and grow, you know, as I was basically doing it. How old were you when you joined TNT? Well, so, so I, I I go back to those moments because that's that all happened when I was seventeen. Okay, the whole beginning of starting and then getting into my first pro band all happened in that first year. Mm -hmm. And then so once I had sort of gotten through that, I wanted more, and so I kind of felt like I exhausted that first group mm -hmm. um, somewhere in the first few months of of my 18th year mm -hmm. i was like okay this seems like i need to get move on yeah and if you want to grow and you got to learn more and do more things yeah you have to take that next step exactly so i went back to new york mm -hmm. and um i was only there for a couple months and i got another opportunity back down in the philadelphia circuit so i went back down did another pro band down there with some even better musicians mm -hmm. in the first round and got more experience um, seeing different things and kind of, you know, grew my uh, repertoire, whatever you want to say. And my, my ability grew and I started taking voice lessons mm -hmm. um, in New York with Don Lawrence, who's okay. a very well-known vocal yes. coach. And we got to talk more about Don, too, uh -huh. yeah. a little bit later. And I was one of his early, like... I was 18. My mom bought me, like, I don't know, a, a package of lessons when I was sure. 18 for my 18th birthday, which is awesome. And she found him randomly in the Village Voice. Oh, seriously? Just like, oh, you know, this guy looks good. And then she went to him for herself because she wanted to learn how to belt okay. as a pop singer. Yeah. Because she was an opera singer. And she was so impressed with his technique, his very, very good bel canto-based um, technique that she, rec you know, she bought me lessons with him. And... I never look back. I've never had another teacher that I've trusted. I still That's go awesome. to him for touch-ups here and there, or refreshers, whatever you want to yeah. call it. So he's been my my vocal coach for my entire career. But he didn't have a lot of you know the people that he's ended up having later. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, so all of that was going on at the same time for my second real professional band that was down there. And then I had enough of that. It was time to move on, went back to New York, and um, immediately looked for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And um, the next thing that I recall was uh, joining a band that I didn't think was all that good, mm -hmm. but they were playing all the venues I wanted to play in New York. 
and I said, you know something, they're they're good enough. I'll be. And they were making demos. I wanted to make more demos. I had a few from the early couple of bands I did, but I needed more because that was going to be an important part of sending those out and getting sure. you know gigs. So now I was getting real serious about strategy and i didn't even know what i was doing i was just like okay these guys are playing gilder sleeves and they're playing all the clubs that i should be playing in new york just to get seen mm -hmm. that strategy worked i did some great demos with them um the songs weren't very good but it showcased my voice nice. that's really all i needed to do um did the did a few probably did about six months with them maybe i don't even think it was a year it wasn't a long time mm -hmm. But it led me to a better band. Awesome. And that band was the best band I had been in up to that point called uh, The Jackals. And that's a fun name. It was before Jackal. No, yeah, yeah. Um, with the, you know, but you guys were You guys were plural. We were so. the Jackals. The Jackals. We, we might have just been Jackals because we were trying to be like Scorpions, you know. Ah. Um, and we played a lot of metal. That was the heaviest band I'd been in up to that point. We did a lot of metal. So one night, uh, after I, I was in that band about a year because we were really making head. I mean, we'd get a thousand people at the clubs we, on the weekend. Damn. Yeah. So we were really getting a reputation and a, and a buzz. And I was excited about the band and, and our you know potential. One night we're playing a venue in New York City, um, metal night. And um, two guys came backstage. One of them was Mike Varney. And another guy, the other guy was managing TNT. Mm. And they came back with a cassette and they said, Somehow your demo, and I, I, again, the strategy of making a lot of demos, mm -hmm. and at that point I had about 10 or 12 songs on a demo, uh, made its way to Norway. Oh, wow. And they were about to hire, um, I was 21 years old, they were about to hire um, uh, Gary Barden from Michael Shanker Group. Oh, wow. I think he even had a plane ticket. And uh, they were in the middle of making Knights of the New Thunder. All of a sudden my demo appears and Ronnie, the guitarist in TNT, Ronnie Latecro, he he's like, stop everything. Cancel the cancel Gary's ticket. Find this guy. Oh my gosh. And so they came backstage at this gig and explained the situation, Norwegian band, and I was like, Oh, okay. Um, and I took the cassette home and and sat on it for a minute. Uh it, I was sharing an apartment with my bass player at the time, and he said, so you're going to listen to it? I was like thinking to myself, I should listen to it privately, because if it's really good, I might have to leave this band, and I'm living with my bass player. Right. What am I going to do? This is awkward. Um, but you know, we put it on, and it was incredible. Yeah. And no I was thinking to myself, oh, no, what am I going to do? And I was inside, I was thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. This, mm -hmm. is, this is exactly the music that I would want to do right now that's awesome it's so good and it's so high, such a high level of professionalism mm -hmm. the guitars sound like all of my favorite guitar players it sounds like scorpions and all these european metal bands i was into it and, sounds and, and like the songwriting sorry and baby. the songwritings song yeah. were like top tier yeah you know yeah it's just like a dream to have something like that happen you know you know it's funny because i always thought i was lucky mm -hmm. and and blessed and all those words and all of that is true but um i heard a great quote and ironically oh, i i happen to some people don't like oprah i happen to think she's pretty cool mm -hmm. but she said um luck is just experience and opportunity meeting right and i thought well that's that makes sense so that there i was sense. i had gained my gained experience mm -hmm. 
I had become pretty proficient as a singer, mm-hmm. and here was an opportunity. I, and I had been out there performing and getting seen and yeah. made a demo that got made its way out into the world. You oh, know? 100%. So I was doing all the right things just by instinct. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, what drove all of it was just the passion for music. Mm-hmm. I just loved it so much that any free time that mm-hmm. I had, I wanted to write songs. I wanted to do my warm-ups, my vocal warm-ups. I wanted to do the lessons. Wow. I wanted to study. I wanted to just be immersed in it. I wanted to go to L'Amour in Brooklyn and see every band that was playing there and study them and study the singers and take it all in and learn, 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 and do, do, do. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and to be so, like, to have such a drive for it, but to also just... uh just to be so tenacious about it, you know. I mean, how many people want to practice? You know, but that's but the thing. I wasn't trying. Yeah. I didn't say I really need to do this. I didn't feel like I was sacrificing something. Yeah. I wasn't really at that point in time heavily into partying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did mm-hmm. party, but it was not important to me. Right. It was like if I was out and I was, you know, having too many drinks, or you know, it happened occasionally, but it was not my. Sure. It did not take over my life yet. At that point, <laughs> it, it did kind of later. But um, yeah, anyway, so so I'm just saying like the the drive wasn't, I wasn't trying. I wasn't like, I would see people that were very methodical and obsessed about how they, they had a plan to make it. Yeah. I didn't have a plan. I just loved it. And I just did all the right things because I just loved doing it. I think that that's the bit. That's the thing. It's like a, some people like, get in trouble like white knuckling and like you saying like having a plan and more often than not i feel like when people back off like the people that we've talked to recently that are just like i you know i just kind of did this and it was always here but then i did this and i was really into motorsports and this and that and then i think that that matters because you're open and you're like aware well it just seems like you were you were kind of gradually your identity was becoming a musician singer and like mm. just gradually it was like kind of who you were now now you were the musician you were right. the vocalist yeah you know what i'm saying it doesn't right. take work to practice it's like fun yeah, yeah right? I get it that. was fun yeah. yeah it was fun all every aspect of it was fun sure and i enjoyed everything about it um and i wanted to just be as deeply a part of it as i as i possibly could be so that's yeah so cool. i think that's a good lesson too for 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 young artists because i would i would observe other musicians um during that the early 80s and and during those formative years and i would i mean i remember this one guy was incredible guitar player super talented good looking had everything going for him perfect rock star and you know it was one of those things just overthinking everything uh, having offers from lab- from labels and even um, sitting down with record companies, but then like finding problems mm-hmm. with uh, the label or with this or with that mm-hmm. and ending up never having all of it laid out there for the taking and never doing it, never ending up having, having what he wanted. I want to turn this. Uh, I know Dan's got some questions to ask you because, I mean, he grew up. You know, TNT was a band that he listened to. Yeah, you know, you know no, it's, it's really a big formative. You know, band. Tony, it's um, me. You know, my brother Andre. Yeah. Um, we were driving. We were kids. You know, we were teenagers, like sixteen, seventeen, and uh, we're driving down Lake Avenue in Rochester, New York, 
listening to music and he would always have some cool cassette in the car you know we called it the cheer mobile man we had our, our band was called diamond tear we had a big huge logo on the hood anyway so we're listening to this stuff whatever i was totally in the jeff tate and queens right i was kind of kind of getting my early chops of trying to do the range thing and you know and i hear your stuff man i hear the tell no tales tape and we were just going man this is this is pretty crazy man and i just want to know what is it like to set this high bar for all these singers in that era and this really popular heavy metal music that it was kind of dominating and what is it like doing this thing live because people hear the records right and they expect something from you to be at least like the record but i'm thinking like what if this what if this guy's got no sleep what if he's not hydrated what if he's what if it's cold season flu season what if he gets laryngitis how do you deal with that live mentally like what is the what is the thing that you had to go through was it like a huge athletic feat think you know what i'm saying I, i think that kind of extreme singing was was looking back on it was a res- partially a result of again how i grew up my mom the, the opera and also my the, that sort of you know california kid extreme sports thing mm-hmm. i mean i wasn't just skateboarding on the street i was skating pools yeah i was doing vertical i was That's you know, flying out of the pools and mm-hmm. and uh you know really dangerous stuff um surfing pretty big waves mm-hmm. in california and um just you know that 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 competitiveness in me i guess was like all right if i'm going to do this i have to be better than everybody else <laughs> otherwise why should i bother right which is a crazy thing really because now i really regret some of the stuff i did because look we're, we're, we're facing a tour right now i'm back in tnt 2024 this year is the 40th anniversary of Nights of the New Thunder when I joined the band and you know we don't none of us want to we we love the fact that people love that album Mm -hmm. but none of us really want to like how do I put it be judged today of by what we did back then right yes I can still sing yes I can still hit a lot of notes can I, but do I have the freedom and the flexibility in my voice that I had when I was 21 years old and, re- <laughs> and recorded that album, right. which I was 21 when I recorded that record, uh, in, what, a, a week or two? I you get know? that. And it's, it's like, you're like, can I still do the same kind of splits that I did when I was 15? You, you know, know? You're like these crazy... And, and yep. it's so there's this this sort of double-edged sword where you're, you're, you're both very grateful that people love that music and at the same time you're like but i sing so many other things which is what i love about my acoustic shows you know i'll get into that later but you know it's it's sort of this to go back to what you say what you're saying um yeah it was back then just so i don't get off off the track here back then it was all about really just trying to rise above and be seen and be yeah. be recognized and be there's so much out there how am i going to stand out i get that and i have to do so, i have to be so damn good okay i have this ability right i can do this thing and i can do it in a way that a lot of people try to do it but can't do it mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually able to do this because of how my vocal cords are shaped mm-hmm. i'm lucky mm-hmm. and the fact that i can hear it and i can feel it and i had a great vocal coach and all these 
things, um, good instincts or whatever I was blessed with, you know, partially probably because of my mom, um, that I can do this thing. I have to do it. Mm-hmm. I have to do it. I have to go all the way to the edge of my ability <laughs> in order to be recognized. I get and that. And the truth is, at that point in my life, doing that stuff was easy. Mm-hmm. I could wake up in the morning with no sleep and having been out all night and sing pretty much like the same. that, you know, mm-hmm. but that's the way it is when you're a kid. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's funny what you're saying because I would be the kid in New York in between bands, you know, browsing through the, the wanted section in the back of the Village Voice looking for singers wanted. Oh, that's And fun. then they'd have their little list. Must, and, you know, so in 80, you know, 83, 283 84 when i was in that position i joined tnt in summer of 84 i'd be looking at all these things and yeah they'd have jeff tate because he their album came out you know about probably a year or maybe six months to a year before our first record and those kind of guys and then i remember after after uh six months or a year of, of nights being out I'd browse the back of, you know, the Village Voice and I started seeing my name pop up must must sound like I was like, what the hell? You know That is funny. <laughs> oh man, dude, you made a, a lot of singers or wanna you know, people who are aspiring to be singers. You made it really difficult. Don Lawrence instilled some some um Good you know, behaviors. Yeah, some good behaviors and some things I would do every day, mm-hmm. you know, some some regimens that I had and 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 things that I would make sure that I did, like my warm-up. I made sure I did that every day. But I wasn't that good about, you know, taking care of myself. I didn't know what to eat. I didn't mm-hmm. really know. You know, I probably didn't drink enough water, but he, he instilled most of the good basic stuff in me. But, I mean, I got away with murder in those early TNT mm-hmm. tours. You know, I was partying too much and... <clears throat> was able to pull it off but as time went on didn't take long when once we started working on tell no tales i started having some issues they weren't vocal related in that i wasn't causing these these issues weren't caused by how i was singing or mm-hmm. my technique they were they were more caused by what i was eating mm-hmm. and i started lack getting like sleep. allergies mm-hmm. lack of sleep um, things started messing with my my vo- my voice that I, I just didn't know what to do. Had to go back to New York during the recording of Tell No Tales, see my ear, nose, and throat doctor, have him treat what was going on, yeah. which was an allergy, mm-hmm. and um, then get back in and, and finish the vocals in New York. But so stuff like that started getting into my head once we sort of hit the big time. Right. Um, once, once you had to do it pressure, every day. Yeah, there's pressure, pressure for it every day, from everywhere, every show. From the man. Now, we, mm-hmm. now we've got, you know, when, we, when we've got signed mm-hmm. to the biggest label in the world, Mercury, um, in America, the band was already signed to Polygram, Polydor in Europe uh, when I joined, which was one of the catalysts for me even sure. agreeing to go all the way to Norway was, okay, well, I'll make a record. Worst case scenario, I have the best demo I could ever have yeah. to bring back to the States. And it obviously, we, as the record came out, it started to take off everywhere, and then we got our American deal. But... Um, yeah, there was something about all those pressures and working with people who were really at the top. I mean, we had suddenly we were managed by Doc McGee. We were yeah. the third band on his roster. Oh wow! Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, TNT. Oh my gosh! And there we were, like this baby band, going. Wow, what the hell just happened? Yeah, what is going? I'm sitting there in New York 
where I lived when I joined TNT, so when I'm off not working with them, I'm home in my apartment in New York, walking to the record company office. Oh my God. Meeting with the management office, which was also in New York City. And all of our business was suddenly where I lived. Oh, that's crazy. And I was the guy that yeah. would be going and doing like these meetings in between, you know. It was very, very surreal. That is so I had to go surreal. to Norway in order to... Yeah, to make that happen when you were already in your, yeah. your hometown, yeah. essentially. It took the long way around. <laughs> yeah. but, but it didn't take long. It was weird. It was like from 84, and we, I think we got signed to the U.S. label in early 85. So mm -hmm. from summer of 84 to early 85, all this craziness was happening, and then we were with Doc McGee. And That's wonderful. It seems like that, that is... Do Doc's in town, right, babe? I think he has an office here. He lives yeah, here. Yeah, I, I, know his, uh, I know his nephew, um, yeah. I worked with him for a long time. He's real sweet, Dylan, uh, yeah. Dylan McGee. Um, his dad uh, manages a bunch of bands Scott, too. I'm sure Scott yes. McGee is yes. Do Doc's brother. Yes, and Scott's also yes. works with the company. He's yeah. been here for a long time. I'm sure that Doc is too. Um, I actually don't think I talked to him about him recently, but I know his dad uh, manages uh, Phil Pantera, uh, Phil from Pantera. Yeah. Um, down. That's the only thing I know he does right now, but he's got a few other bands too. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, it was, you know, all of that pressure and, and um, of course they want to then change things about, you know, how you look and all this. They want to come in and like, they mess sign with you everything. because they love it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then they want to change everything, you know? Yeah. And so all this, all these different pressures came in and yes. And then I started thinking about all of the things that you're talking about and yep. oh my God, and of course, not knowing what OCD was, or um, you well, maybe know, maybe you didn't have OCD at the time, but then you, you had know, OCD. <laughs> you, you know, going, going. I think all of us, and we we kind of go through our childhoods, <laughs> yeah. and we go through all of the madness of them, whatever mm -hmm. that is. And I think everybody, no matter how, okay, there are probably. A, a lot of people out there that had really perfect childhoods, whatever mm -hmm. that means, or really good ones compared to others. Right. But I just think most of us, we have like madness that goes on and we go through it. And because we're kids, we just make those adjustments yeah. and we keep going and we find what makes us happy along the way because we're kids. And then at some point along the way in our 20s or early 30s, all of a sudden it all hits us. Yep. And, and if, you're in the, if you're in the middle of, of this incredible ride that I was on, of mm -hmm. being a major label artist at in your early 20s with top management and all this and, a, and an accountant and a lawyer and all this stuff going on. You have no idea how to live life. Nope, nope, no You're idea. You're a kid. Mm -mm. You don't know anything. You're, mm -mm. You, you don't know how to make money or pay bills or what is going on. Yeah, with, you, don't, you don't know these basic things that like... You know, you these no life, life skills. skills. No. Yeah. And everyone's suddenly everyone's doing all of it for you. Oh, Jesus. We didn't even pay our, our electric bills. I was I, all of my bills for my apartment were going now to my accountant. That and is funny. And I would funny. get like uh, an allowance every week. Oh, my God. To just to like <laughs> just to live on, yeah. you know, like basic like groceries or whatever. So that is that is crazy no i think you make a good point like because when it all starts to catch up to you so i want to come back and talk about that more i think yeah. we should go ahead and take a quick break sure um there is i know i'm add adhd too so i'm bouncing all around no are you kidding me i tony. love this i i love <laughs> no, diving good. into all of this um now tony uh we we're definitely going to talk about this next part, but um, so one of the things I do on the show is I teach my guests how to make a cocktail, but you don't drink. Right. 
So I want to teach you how to make a fun mocktail. Okay. So you can enjoy it and have it and hopefully you like it. And then, you know, next time you're out playing a gig, if you feel like having something that's a little bit more fun or interesting than like soda water or whatnot, maybe this will work. Nice. Okay, cool. Let's give it a try. Hey everyone, I'm Tom Hurst from Loud Jams and you're listening to Nashville on the Rocks or maybe watching it on YouTube, one of the best podcasts out there. So we're back. Um, I have a few things in front of me here. This is kind of fun because I actually really enjoy making mocktails. Um, Mocktails have become very popular uh, probably since COVID, maybe even a little bit before COVID. So a lot of places you'll go, you'll see they have mocktails on the menu because you should be able to go out and have a fun drink even if you don't drink. That's true. That's true. You want to have something pretty or flavorful or whatever. I like to do a lot of like... uh, fruits or like fruit um, flavored water or whatnot mixed with everything. I kind of simplified this today. So I'm just making something with uh, lemon juice, this fever tree Indian tonic water, which is the best. Nice. Uh, so orange bitters, we're going to garnish it with an orange and then we're going to cut it with some water because I know you don't like it very sweet. So I think this will be good. Nice. Yeah. And that's the problem with mocktails is like anything else, like when you're drinking, like you don't need a ton of calories. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. You know, I'll have a mocktail. Sometimes mm-hmm. they can be quite sweet. I'll yes. usually end up with a with a non-alcoholic beer if I have anything. Right, which is works too. Which all which that they have there, you know, they could be bloating. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know they have non-alco- non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic, gluten-free? They have well, uh, no, that's not gonna work. <laughs> I was gonna say they have. See, I'm messing myself up. They have non-alcoholic water. What I meant to say is they have alcoholic water. Wow. In a can. Wow. Yeah, isn't that vodka? Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, vodka with some water. I mean, with some more water. That's really well. I mean, you know, it's clear. I mean, this could literally be vodka. (laughs) Looks like it. Smells like it. All right. right, So I'm putting all these in front of me. I'm gonna add. uh, I'm gonna add some of the mix first. So what I'm gonna do is take just a half an ounce of lemon juice because I feel like we need a little bit of citrus in there to get it to be balanced so it's not too sweet anyways. Wonderful. Get that out of the way. Gone. Boom. Okay. Next thing I'm going to do is add some ice. Woo! Mm, look, at ice. look at you with all Doc. the professional uh, equipment here. All the professional things. Yes. This is a Martha Stewart kit and the funny thing about that is my bestie gave this to me as a wedding gift and I was like, did you just seriously gift me a Martha Stewart bar set? <laughs> I was like, that's kind of incredible, actually. Like, so, um, yeah, that's that. Um, all right. So I figure from here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this fun little Marshall bottle opener. Nice. Pop it's a very, the- the- very themed uh, right? studio here. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, the other day, I couldn't find a bottle opener, so I just grabbed this one off the fridge. I was like, perfect. Okay, so... I'm gonna put the water in first. So lemon juice, water. Lemon juice, water. Okay. Okay, then I have some orange bitters, so I'll add that. And these are fairly common. You, they'll, Every bar will have these. Yeah. And bitters don't have any. Alcohol? Yeah. 
so, it's point so zero 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 one percent. Probably less than a. Yeah, they're so, <clears throat> uh, you know, minimal. I'll less than do, cough syrup. Yes, <clears throat> we'll just give this a quick stir. It looks so perky. I'm using my Patron setup today, my little Patron spoon and everything. I should have brought out the Patron glasses. Those are pretty massive. Okay, now I'm topping it off with my favorite tonic water. Probably of all time. Nice. It's so good. And when, the, I, when I drank, I used to drink vodka and tonics occasionally. Yeah. Well, and then I switched to vodka and uh, club soda. Yep. For a while, I then did I the same thing. Just vodka. I was like, why, why am I do? Why am I why, why bother water? <laughs> right, just That's put what I, what I was really. Uh, why even use a glass? Why, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, then it got to yeah. Why not just take the whole bottle and put it in my mouth? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just short of shooting it up, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Tony, I apparently no Tommy Lee did that. Oh my! my Shot up why whiskey. am I not surprised? I don't think that's that's that, that uh, can't be healthy. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I've only known you since you've been, been sober. Sober. Yeah. So I am enjoying the fact that I will be making this cocktail for you today. I'm glad you've known because you don't have to have memories of me before that. <laughs> Here you go. Thank you. That looks pretty. Yeah, now it's not too colorful. No, it's nice. It's, yeah. a, it's a minimalist. Minimal. You're handing that to yes. me, babe. This is for you. Get over it. All right, thank you for coming on the podcast. Cheers. Wow. Cheers, everyone. Yeah, that's good mm. and refreshing. Quite refreshing. It is all refreshing. about refreshing. Yes, and lemons are very good for you, very yes. alkalizing and cleansing. Oh, and just a little bit of that orange rind. But it's crazy because I tonic water people have just been like tonic water forever. But then when they started making these, I was like, what That's is good. this stuff? And that they have good. all different types of flavors. You can get them Kroger anywhere. But yeah, so my mocktails, I feel like to avoid being overly sweet i like them to be refreshing this is very good i would have this again yay babe, I'm glad why you don't you it. go over the ingredient let me just show the table and you can <clears> just kind of point out what you got going on there okay so we can all make it at home okay so what i have is lemon juice okay you could buy that or you can squeeze your own i wouldn't be a bartender if i didn't squeeze my own <clears throat> sorry yeah uh, squeeze them babe <laughs> so then Aww. i added <laughs> Did I get it on tape? You did. Suddenly, Sorry, it's the Howard everyone. Stern Show. Yeah, exactly. You're not robbing your get Howard this time. Yeah. Here. <laughs> all right, so I have water. I put about uh, half water, half of this Indian tonic water, and orange bitters. Right. About three or four orange bitters. Give it a quick stir, and then I put an orange peel on it. And just rim the glass with it. And it's it's nice and zesty. It really wakes you up. And there you go. <laughs> you feel it's alive, rather, really. It's rather lovely. David yeah. smelled the globus here. <laughs> All of a sudden, we became British. Yeah. That's like my go-to, my, my bad British accent. I love it. It's more like a spinal tap mixed with something <laughs> yeah, else. You know. That's how I learned my English accent is from uh, listening to yeah. David St. Hubbins. It's always like a reference to, you know, Oh, my gosh. This should be named after a spinal tap. Reference. Something, something to do with smell the glove. Yeah, that one, what? smell the glass. <laughs> smell, yeah. the glass. <laughs> smell the glass. Pretty good. Is that a real thing from Spinal Smell tap? the lemon. Smell the glove. Babe. Yeah. Mm. Smell the glove. Smell or, the glove. Or just goes to eleven. <laughs> it goes to or eleven. Remember eleven. A, remember a sex farm woman? Remember those lyrics? Oh yeah. <laughs> Classic. Big man. bottom. Oh god, yeah. dude. Look at the glass. I mean, it's kind of got deep Big cuts. bottom. Yeah, big bottom. <laughs> 
love it. So I how, heard... How inappropriate, <laughs> how offensive were those songs? Like in today's world... Oh, 100%. And they're about to do a new Spinal Tap movie. <laughs> yeah. But then again... Are they really? I think... I think some humor is like acceptable because, you know, look at what Steel Panther does. Uh-huh. It's so inappropriate. Yeah. But it's funny. It's, it's so like out there. Sexist and, and, yeah. and, but and misogynistic all and all, all of things. it. Yeah. But know what the thing is? Know what I think what makes it okay? Like when you watch like All in the Family and the great writing that was done and how oh, yeah. offensive that could be looked at. It's yeah. like the reason why I feel like you can get away with it is because... When Archie Bunker is that bigoted jerk, ignorant, and all that, the it's the teaching. jokes on him. Exactly, That's right. it, you know what it I'm was it was a good teaching tool for people at that moment in yeah. time. Like how they, they could kind of see what it looked like. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not. I think it got lost on a lot of people. Yeah, we won't yeah. go there. But I get it's that. The context, man. You know what? Um, well, that's how Dan won me over. He sang Spinal Taps, uh, Farm Sex, sex farm, farm Woman. Oh my God, that that did it for me. Crouching in it, your pea patch. Remember that, that one? Was, that was the time. Was that was that like? Uh, did, where'd you guys meet? Did you meet in a, in a club or a, a, a venue of some kind? Or did you meet through friends? No, or? we actually uh, introduced all three. We uh, from we my got, buddy Zazu. Yeah, I give him a shout out by the way. But yeah, he, it's, he's responsible for us getting married today. Oh. So uh, we and love the him. first, well, not married today. We didn't get married today. Well, you know what I'm saying. We're yes. married today. Um, yeah, he actually said, uh, "My friend Lisa's <laughs> having a show. Do you want to go see her?" And he said, sure, because he basically didn't have it. He was bored. He didn't have anything else going on. So that was when I first met him. And I just thought he was a very nice, smiley man that was very polite. And then he sang me Sex Farm Woman, and I said, sold. That's it. She bought it, man. (laughs) I am going to go out on a limb here and say that you are the first person to, to secure a relationship by singing Sex Farm Woman. <laughs> oh, probably the only person in the world that, and, and I think that's a great thing. You, you, know? you know, it what? says a lot about your sense of humor. I got to say that he it's actually. It's delivery, though. You he know actually, what I'm saying? You really got to commit. The delivery. <laughs> that's right. I, I know, and I just, because he actually didn't sing it to me until about four years ago for the first time, and then he would sing it constantly around the house, and I was like. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lyrics are like with it crouching in your pee patch <laughs> okay hosing down your barn door that's yeah see i don't even know all those your words field. oh my god awful well when you all look right. at the guy who's the the actor who's like the lead singer the, yeah um and he is so different when Michael he McKean, acts i know it's 100 different oh yeah he's like so serious and yeah. like i saw him annoying i saw him last night i was watching um I'm on a I'm on a curb your enthusiasm run yes. right now. Love I've seen that. all of them, but I'm watching the whole series again. And he's in he's in a few oh, episodes. And too he's funny. Really funny, yeah. He's yeah, we best. just most recently saw him in uh, Better Call Saul. He played the brother. Oh yeah. And yeah. he was such really like good. a tight ass, stiff like wasn't he in in in, in uh, Laverne and Shirley? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Lenny. He played Lenny. Lenny, Lenny yep. and Squiggy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Classic. Too funny. Yeah. That's where you started, I think, right? Yeah. That was this big break. <laughs> Shit. Well, I'm glad that you enjoy the cocktail. This was really, mm. really lovely. Yay! Yeah. And I love it how it's a little Cheers, guys. Cheers, cloudy. Everybody. Cheers. Cheers, All right. y'all. Mm. Mm. All right. I'm coming Ooh. back into this. Um, I just want to ask you, what's your favorite TNT album? Oh, my goodness. Um, mm. Often... My go-to when I get asked that question is, is my religion. 
which came out in 2004, uh, which we just did a, a digital reissue of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's the most complete TNT album. Uh, we made it purely from, uh, we just followed our hearts and we just made made a record we wanted to make. Mm-hmm. But we had gained some maturity from going off into wild places in the late 90s. We went and experimented with two records that I also love those albums. That's cool. They're a bit incomplete. We should have had a little help maybe with the production. And they would have never been accepted, those two records, because of who we were. Mm. So, but, but they served a very important purpose. We needed to go far out away from who we were yeah. after our initial breakup in 92. And when we got back together in like 96 to, or 97 to make Firefly, um, we were just like, let's just do something. Cra- let's just do what we want. Let's not right. let's not try to fit into any box. Let's just do what naturally comes out. And what naturally com- came out was this very kind of. I don't know, modern for the time, I mm-hmm. guess, um, album that sounded very little like what people would have remembered us from you know in the 80s but when we got to the my religion period i think we sort of said okay we had fun with that let's take what we learned from that Mm -hmm. and then try to come back to what sort of people kind of want from us yeah without letting that interfere with our creativity which is quite a task yeah i think we pulled it off with that record how would you explain that to a fan like like what are what are the ingredients on that record where you know i know you want maybe want to let people interpret it themselves for themselves but i always think it's a neat thing you can actually say this is what we accomplished um maybe vocally or songwriting wise or influence wise or i don't know talk a little bit about that well the record is, you know, it's 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 a first of all, it's a long album. It's got more. So we were known for these very short albums in the '80s, uh, in particular "Nights" and "Tell No Tales." Uh, I think "Nights" was under thirty minutes, and "Tell No Tales," I think, is about thirty-three minutes. Which is, mm. but you know, our attitude when people criticized that was, "Hey." Did it leave you wanting more? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you know, we didn't want to overstay our welcome, you know. <laughs> and, the, and, you know, in the 90s, this trend of, of having, like, 17 songs on a record, you know, right. started to happen, um, which is really a double album. But so it's a long album. There are a lot of songs on the record. There, there are a lot of good songs, which is why it's a long record. Mm-hmm. And I just think we had time to make it. Um, we had a good budget to work with at the time, so there there was a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and your question was really what? <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, I was like, like, what do you feel like that you maybe got out of that record? Because mm. you know, like we were talking about Rick Rubin off camera downstairs, and um, yeah. Rick Rubin has those little wi- wisdom mm. nuggets, man. And he was saying the best thing an artist can do is write music for themselves, because yeah. it's honest and it gets. Uh, the fans, you can get closer to the artist and connect yeah. to the artist because you know that's what they're doing it for themselves yeah. and this is what they're hearing, not for some type of, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? They're not shooting for like some type of record sale or mm-hmm. that type of thing, but I think Rick Rubin hit it on the nose mm. coming with the whole artistry thing. You I know? mean, I think that we, I think we just reached a point where, you know, honestly, when I think about that that whole period of time it was just a good vibe between us um we had our keyboard player dog Staka, who 
unfortunately passed away quite mm. young in 2011. <clears throat> but that was, we were working on that music between probably the end of 2002 through when it was released in 2004. Um, and we put an EP out as well as a precursor and then a Greatest Hits record out on um, Universal as a precursor to the My Religion record. So we had just been really, it was just a very easy, creative, uh, inspired period of time. And good and vibes. Everybody good loves vibes. making it. And, and again, having Dog our, uh, be our co-producer, he was just, he, has a, he had a beautiful soul and a very positive way of working that I really liked. And I was comfortable working with him in the studio. And it was just very smooth. And it, that's, that's really what I remember is just, it was easy to write these songs and they were just coming and coming and they were just all really, really solid. Mm -hmm. So, um, and we had another record that we did right after that, um, All the Way to the Sun, which I also really like uh, those two. And, you know, I think one of, the, one of the things talking about this that makes me a little sad even is we've had these periods where kind of we're on a roll mm -hmm. and we were like going somewhere. Um, you kind of see that with groups that had these runs where they made lots of music, like the Beatles or something, where they kind of have these bridge albums almost, where there's like a record that they were kind of playing around with something, and then it led to something really amazing, mm -hmm. you know, like a masterpiece. Right, like Sergeant right. Pepper, mm. you know, like Revolver came, and then Sergeant Pepper kind of like, whoa, you know. Um, and I just think we were we were heading someplace that we, and then we had you know, business problems and internal problems and then everything stopped again while we were right. kind of running that in that direction. So, but yeah, so for me, I would probably pick my religion because the maturity that you get just from living your life and being a little bit older, your, my lyrics had gotten better. Ronnie and I, the way we wrote together got better and more mm -hmm. organized and the way we recorded it and just everything, you know. Wow. I love that. And that's a great answer, man. And yeah, uh, I think a lot of people super. would want to know that. Yeah. I've had a lot of side projects. I mm -hmm. had, I'd say that the one project that was probably the most serious other than TNT that I've had would, would probably be the Westworld albums. Mm. Cause I did four of those technically one live album and three studio albums. And I really wanted that band to be something. And, and I really believe looking, listening back at those to those uh, albums sometimes i i think god we really could have done more yeah um but we were all in different projects i was actively in tnt mm -hmm. when i was making those records so there was always something that kind of maybe prevented me or the other guys involved who were also in their respective bands sure uh, from really focusing on that project because i really think it could have it could have been something really special yeah and could have could have done really well just a um, timing thing i guess huh yeah i think it was just the timing and all of us and and you know the first two records came out on roadrunner before roadrunner was this big label <laughs> so we had good things happening and we, we could have done a lot more with it so I, that's really in particular the second westworld album is always kind of a record i look back on and think um that it's kind of if I would have done a solo record, mm -hmm. that probably would have been it mm -hmm. at that time with those guys. Yeah, and it, it's, it was a band project, but I was so involved in the in the sort of creation of it and the writing with the guitar player and sort of the imagery and the, just the whole thing that it really felt like my baby in a, in a way. 
sort of around 2006 or seven, around there, I, I, I had sort of been going to a lot of clubs in New York and seeing friends who were singer-songwriters perform very naked and, and uh, vulnerable doing mm -hmm. these acoustic shows. And I thought, you know, I really want to do more of this. I had done a little of it, a song here, a song there, a few songs. <clears throat> but I saw the beauty in just stripping it all away as a vocalist mm -hmm. and forcing myself or challenging myself rather to not have anything but my voice and maybe you know a guitar or acoustic instruments supporting me um, and I saw how that could challenge me as a singer and make me better sure. um, and also the, the challenge of being in a having a small audience where you can see everybody's face yeah and more intimate setting people don't realize that is yeah. so much more daunting mm -hmm. than getting on a big stage where it's just kind of a sea of people sea of faces you can't really see yeah because of the lights you can and see everything. the ones up front you know and you do mm -hmm. make eye contact but it's just a different energy it's like uh there's just it's completely it it was so much more nerve wracking for me. It's like you got to create the energy instead of working with the crowd. Maybe it goes back yeah. and forth. You know what I'm saying? You got to create it's, moments you yourself. It's right? very intimidating because they're there sitting down in a cabaret type setting, mm -hmm. and it's just a completely. It's like. I loved being an audience member and seeing those kinds of shows and just being like, gosh, I'm really hanging on every word. And yeah. if it's a good singer, really enjoying, you mm -hmm. know, the detail of it. And so I started doing them. And honestly, I, I haven't turned, I haven't looked back. I've pretty much done them off and on consistently for, I guess, gosh, it's like coming up on 20 years. That's awesome. Yeah. That is great. And it has really contributed positively to my singing, mm -hmm. my writing, um, my performing, every mm -hmm. aspect of what I do. Because doing those acoustic shows, there's a lot I have to talk, I've got to tell stories. Now, mm -hmm. now it's kind of evolved into a storyteller kind of show. It's been like that for a while. So there's a lot of that. And so it's made me just a better, I guess, entertainer, because mm -hmm. it's taken it all the way down to the most basic level. Sure. Now when I get up on a bigger stage, I can, f I don't think about it, but I can see analyzing it from afar how it's contributed to a more positive performance. Another thing about the acoustic thing from the audience perspective, I think it's awesome to see you kind of strip down, right? And when, like you might sing a song a little bit of a different way. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. that you might apply right. it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Just yeah. with the different context, it's a real treat for the audience to be like, oh, it's cool how we did that instead. And yeah. like maybe turn the song into something a little bit more different you know what i'm saying intimate yes. or it, you know? it's really funny because when i was doing shows this summer with tnt and it was our first shows in in years um and there were big shows because they were festivals so there were there was uh, there was one show where there was thirty five thousand people you mm -hmm. know and on that same trip i went i went off and did a couple of acoustic shows with the guitar player that i do acoustic shows with in norway and i was like you know the big rock shows are so fun. They're fun. Mm -hmm. But I really, and this is, this is, it's a hard thing to say, but I think my, my soul, if I could say that, enjoys the acoustic shows yeah. so much more. Mm -hmm. um, because it's all about the singing and it's all about the songs. And with TNT these days, 
or with any with with a rock show like that it just feels like i'm showing one small aspect of what i do mm-hmm. of my of what i what i want to do as an as an artist you know right. and it's not as satisfying mm-hmm. as the acoustic shows because i can stretch and i can do quiet things and i still do loud high screamy things it's a different experience not only for the audience but yeah, for you too very much yeah. yeah dynamically it's just you know it can show a little bit more of you you know mm-hmm. it's more in that way more up close and personal mm-hmm. i feel like i'm giving them more a, a more complete picture of who i am as an artist yeah and so I'm enjoying it more because mm-hmm. I get to, that's really the main thing is I get to express mm-hmm. myself more doing cover songs that are completely out of the hard rock wheelhouse. Right. Um, you know, some things that are sort of in it a little bit. Um, I mean, in my acoustic show, I do George Michael. I do a George Michael cover. Oh, I do um, Rod. I've done and still do a Rod Stewart cover. Mm-hmm. Um and then I'll do Boston, mm-hmm. which they love that. And uh, just a variety of, you know, sometimes I do Eagles. Sometimes mm-hmm. I do. So I'm kind of like able to draw from all the influences of my whole life, not just the TNT stuff. It's an interesting thing when you're a part of something that is, especially when it's um, part of somebody's youth. Like like mm-hmm. if, if someone was at the right age and they they gravitated toward tnt mm-hmm. it's very hard because I, I know what it's like for me with artists that i love um and yet at the same time if if i give them a chance with something else that they're if i like them enough and i oh well, let me see what they're doing you know outside of that mm-hmm. like robert plant some of the stuff he's done yeah. outside of zeppelin is right. beautiful i mm-hmm. mean i really like it a lot it's not the same, mm-hmm. may not have the same kind of, you know, spark you get from because that music with Zeppelin music is connected to old memories. Sure. It's connected to a time in your life, just like TNT stuff is. Yeah, um, absolutely. True. That's you know, a good way to put it. That's an excellent way it to is, say it. Because, so that's, that's part of the reason, I believe, why people can't always be open to something an artist that's part of a band might do outside of that yeah. situation. Um, and then there's honestly artists uh, artists who the best work they do is with their band. Their band. Yes. Um, now, when I look at all the solo stuff I've done, I feel like some of it is really good, and I'm really proud of it. But I would say a lot of it suffers mostly from not having, you know, great producers involved, mm-hmm. um, people to kind of like you know. Whether it's uh, somebody like a Rick Rubin or a, mm. you know, Mutt Lang or I can even say that about TNT, really. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, there's a, there's so many factors that come into play with making a great record of any genre. And, um, you know, oftentimes you can write a great song. You can have all the elements be there. But when you listen back some years later, you kind of think, you know. If only we had had you know, yeah. some, some help making this, it would have been then it would have lifted it. Yeah, lifted it to what you felt like maybe what it, its, its full potential could have been. Its potential yeah. could have been meets yeah. the vision, right? Understandable. Yeah. So the visions. So I have a lot of stuff out there where it feels like the vision is incomplete, mm-hmm. but it's all there. It mm-hmm. just it's not. It wasn't sort of presented 
in a way in a that full, full package yeah yeah mixed better mm-hmm. recorded better you know that lyric could have been better you know someone to just sort of be hey you know like yeah. a george martin and a, all of the great bands i don't care if you're talking about from any era um whether you're talking about the beatles there's no way they could have done what they did without george martin right period um as great as they were and they were great and they would have done well but right. without him you know yeah uh wasn't he like the fifth Beatle, yeah. they would say? You know, look at Def Leppard mm-hmm. with Mutt Lang. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just great band. I love Def Leppard, but, you know, having him there yeah. made a lot of diff- big, big, very big difference. And, and TNT didn't have that level. We yeah. had great people working with us, but not that level. Well, you guys were still able to accomplish so much with that just so with that's raw. telling yeah, yeah. In, but, and another thing too it's like when you're that young <clears throat> and you're still on your musical journey and you're growing as an artist you maybe haven't f- found your own complete voice yet until right. you're a little bit older and you have the experience but you need an maybe an older producer with all this experience right. and a giant vocabulary faster right mm-hmm. to right. understand like where your potential is mentor, and where you're going. whatever like for example yeah. when i say when you say what's your favorite album and i say my religion it's like well what could my religion uh, have been if we did it in 89 or 92 yeah. compared to the records we did do, which we did, you know, some great records. But um, it took 20 years to gain some or, you know, gain some enough experience to be able to come close to something. I, I get that. It's, you know, it's under the analogy that the what youth is wasted on the young or however it's said you know like uh yeah it's the same thing it's like you're you're just more seasoned over time you've gotten into your your focus your talent the direction and now you're like okay and so yeah 20 years in you have a different sound and another thing too is like that's why it's really freaky man when you see those young young dudes who already like a kurt cobain let's say who already had his voice already intact like he knew where he's going yeah at such a young age right Yeah, like that's that's very, wild. very rare. But, you know, Butch, Butch Vig produced the record and he did a great job at containing and exploiting all the good. He contained the energy and, and exploited it in the right way and contained it in understood, the right way. Yeah, understood, understood the what punk they rock were. Beatle thing. This and, is what I'm saying. Like, when you look at, at these artists, whether it be the Beatles or along the way who had great producers and great partners in the process of making a record it brought the artist further along when they were younger Mm. and gave them so much i learned so much in the first the two weeks that i recorded the first tnt record i'd never recorded with a real producer and you know of course in my mind i know when i did that i'm making a record for the first time but working it with with a producer and he didn't really give me a lot of um you know um, mentoring guidance guidance. but it but it was there it was Mm -hmm. the feeling of it and i got in those two weeks there's no doubt i say it all the time from the start of that record till it was when that record when i was done i was a better singer Mm -hmm. i just was and then i had to go out and sing the way i did on the record Mm -hmm. which made me a better singer yeah so I feel yeah, like having somebody it. with you. My my I guess my point here is, um, you know, 
just as a as an outside entity working with you on what you're doing to try to who, who has the proper vision because we worked with some bad producers mm-hmm. too that kind of didn't get it at all mm-hmm. and and it was kind of a disaster uh, but when you have that synergy with somebody and they get they know exactly what to do with you what you are how to exploit the best things mm-hmm. so I never we never had that and I never I never felt that we really had a great mentor and that <clears throat> that applied both to our managers and producers um, someone that just gave us good advice about stuff we were doing in the in, in the studio mm-hmm. but also what we were doing mon- how to manage our money right uh, I mean I just someone felt that like, was good at their job that had yeah, you know, learned, and maybe they didn't have a lot of experience with yeah. that either, and they yeah. were kind of. <laughs> so when I see it. when I see you know artists like uh, like the Beatles who had Brian Epstein mm-hmm. um, or and and George Martin, they had two really great people. Uh, I see Zeppelin had Peter Grant, and mm-hmm. I, I you know, um, and we did have Doc, and and mm-hmm. uh, it, it didn't work out. But um, you know, I'm always jealous of when I when I see these the mutt lang def leopard thing you know yeah. it's like i love def leopard's great they're all great the band is great would it have been what it what it was without mutt lang i don't know i don't I think don't so dude just yeah. for the record man what's your favorite def leopard record any um probably hysteria but i really yeah. like high and dry dude and i'm I, glad you I, said that and i really like pyromania too um, I was working at a record store when Pyromania came out, and I remember the two records that were flying out the door the fastest were Thriller and Pyromania. <laughs> I was always grabbing for somebody one of those two albums. Remember right. everybody's wearing those Union Jack uh, shirts after oh, Joe yeah. Elliott, and then uh, was it the Photograph record or Photograph yep. video? And all that? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I think the best analogy, and it's been used for forever, is that being in a in a any type of artistic collaboration whether mm-hmm. it be a band or a duo or producer artist or whatever it may be it it is especially if it's a long term sort of thing it is the closest co- analogy is that it's kind of like a marriage mm-hmm. and all the su- and there's really not i mean okay if you have a normal job and you go work with people it's not, it's kind of not this because you do what you're hired to do. Yep. And, you know, yeah, you might have to do certain projects with people or whatever, but it's not the same mm-hmm. because creativity is closer to, dare I say, love. Mm-hmm. And so there's a connection there that is deeper than mm-hmm. you might have with like, your your quote day job, unless yeah. it's a create oh. unless it's a creative field. And yes. then of course it's similar. But we all come into these things with our baggage mm-hmm. and our dysfunction. Mm-hmm. We all come in with it. And and then, you know, you get like scrappy musicians and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just, yeah, there should be like a, I don't know, maybe a course or something, a ther- <laughs> like a, a precursor <laughs> well, to like getting in a band. Like you got to go through some therapy. I know that there's so much more that we could talk about. And I really want to give you the opportunity at this point to... Um, to talk to us about any fun things that are coming up, any things that are really important to you. Um, I know that uh, it's the 40th year you said of TNT's yeah. the album that you first did with them. Yeah. And um, can you talk? We might have to cut this out. Can you talk about the movie? Yeah, 
Okay. We're, we're, so there, we're, we, it's going to be probably at least two years before it sees the light of day. That's awesome. Because it takes time to do these things. But um, yeah, we are. We have a filmmaker, an award-winning Cannes Film Award-winning and other uh, film festivals that he's won awards for, um, director who is uh, working with us on this, on this documentary. He's mm-hmm. actually in charge. He's actually just the one that's filming it. That's awesome. Um, and it's underway, and um, it's very interesting. We're tr- we've try- we're trying to get to the point where we're not we're not paying attention to the cameras being around. But that's that's a really big thing for us. We're trying to figure out as we're doing it, like mm-hmm. how what's going to happen, what's the story? Yeah, you know, because what we think is is an interesting story may not translate as interesting. Sure. So as we're making it, we're kind of realizing um, how you know. It needs to go uh, and really just be ourselves and hope that what gets filmed is what needs to be filmed and the past stuff sure. and telling the story um, because we don't want it to just be for TNT fans. We really want this movie to be something um, that hits a nerve mm-hmm. for a wider audience. We don't know what that's exactly going to be yet. So that's happening. Um uh, yeah, it's the 40th anniversary of uh, me joining the band and mm-hmm. making Knights of the New Thunder. Um, That's crazy, man. Which is nuts. Yeah, yeah. Is. Time flies, bro. It does. And then you have your acoustic <clears throat> shows that you still my, do. My acoustic shows that I'm doing in between other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big milestone coming up the, at the end of this month for me, uh, six years uh, alcohol-free. Which Yay! Is, Good which for is, you! Uh, Congrats, which is, man. Which is nice. Um really was a big life changer for me yeah that's a huge deal yeah um and it made it made a lot of things that are happening now possible let's put it that way because yeah. i was able to be be present and do them you know yeah show up present show up yeah uh love yourself i feel like that when yeah. people when you get into a you know it becomes just a cycle and it seems like man tony it seems like you have a lot of gratitude for what you do and 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 where you are you know and i just feel like you have a really positive spin on people around you and on yourself and on your life and i I just it's it's uh i don't always feel that way but thank you for saying that (laughs) well hey man i try i sometimes forget and and you know that one one great many great things about um my girl my girlfriend but she she's also sober and she's always there to remind me when i'm maybe not as grateful as i should be about something or other you know um it's easy sometimes to get into these oh you know um but i i am i am super grateful um for everything really mostly my sobriety at this point in time because Mm -hmm. it's going to allow it has allowed me already and will continue to allow me to live completely Yes. And not right. be, completely. You know, completely. That's what it is. Yeah. Completely. Being exactly. present, right? That type of thing. Being present yep. and yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just feel like you're getting by. Yeah. Or you're barely getting by. Yeah. You know. But it's a process. It's a lifelong process and and uh being back with the guys again, um, you know, it's 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 both thrilling and difficult as always, you mm-hmm. know. Um it's amazing to me. I'll tell you, the biggest gratitude I had this past summer was the fact that we hadn't done anything together in five years. Am I right? Or six years, sorry. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, they didn't have a lot of luck 
trying to keep the band going with somebody else mm -hmm. during the same six-year period. But the fact that we could go away, not make new music, and just go and get booked at these giant festivals mm -hmm. and play in front of, like, we did this one festival with Guns N' Roses, and we had 35,000 people, that's and they awesome. had, like, 20,000. And that's... we were like, okay, it is in Norway. That's our home turf <laughs> and everything. But, I mean, it's Guns N' Roses, you know. Right. Um, that's awesome. So we were just, like, blown away with the whole thing. And I just had to pinch myself and say, this is just amazing that we created something that, you know, not that many people know about, but that mm -hmm. when they, the people that do appreciate it are just like, they really they appreciate love it. it so much. And yeah. it's been, because it was so big over there, it gets handed down to the next generation, just like with the big American acts. And they yeah. go out and play and they see the young, you know, the kids and the grandkids. You yeah. Know? I think that's, that's pretty wild. That's so wild. And that's so true. And I think it's so accurate. It's such a good feeling. Um, I would imagine for that to be the case because you still have these lifelong fans. Yeah. You know? Yeah, They're the just, legacy is the thing that's really impressive, yeah. man. To actually have something that's just I don't know, that's that's standing the test of time and really affected other human beings on the planet, man. I just think that's such a cool thing to have, you know, it, and it's very fortunate. It you know? is it, it's a it's a big deal and it's something that I think a lot of musicians that are in my position can take for granted very mm -hmm. easily because maybe things don't seem as big today as they did back then. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, we've actually been in many ways more successful on almost every aspect of what that means mm -hmm. since the 80s mm -hmm. than we were in the 80s. In the 80s, yeah, we were on MTV. We were definitely more in people's faces mm -hmm. uh, everywhere. Um, where we made in, made some noise, but um, we weren't really successful. Mm -hmm. Whereas now we feel like there's just a difference. And and legacy, when you talk about that, it's like we talk about that sometimes. We're like, wow, we're like, you know, we're in our early sixties, and um, you know, other bands are quitting, and we're kind of like, we're like the in the next in line mm. because we hung in there. Yeah. If we make some good new music, which we're working on now, and we just hang in there and keep doing what we're doing, you know, it's like I heard Joe Elliott talking about it um, the other day uh, about how sort of they, they feel like they're more successful now than they ever were before mm -hmm. simply because they hung in there mm -hmm. and just kept going. Yeah, um, I could see that. And I kind of feel like we're, we're, a le we're definitely a legacy act at this point. And we've just hung in there, and we're trying to keep it going. I don't know how long we keep it, we can do it. Um, certainly, the music we did, as I said early on, is superhuman in many ways for mm -hmm. both Ronnie and me. Mm -hmm. um, it requires us to do things that are just insane, right? Um, and and you know, you can get a little bitter sometimes about it, as I mentioned before. Like, oh, I have to get judged on. I, I sing, I think I sing better now than I did then, but in a different way. Right, right. But I'm going to get judged on how well I sing those songs mm -hmm. from 1984, you mm -hmm. know. I think that's something that generally a lot of people don't think of because they're like, why? What's the problem? Why? You can't sing that forever? Yeah. Why? What do you mean? Yeah. And it's like, and they, don't, they don't want you to evolve. That's you know it saying? too. Like, that's a thing too. Like, ah. They don't, yeah, they there's kind of with the nostalgia thing. I think kind of gets the best of them. And I you know? get it. I get it because I have nost. I I mean, when I if I'm playing random songs on mm -hmm. on Sirius Radio at home or you know whatever, I'm definitely playing mostly 70s and 60s mm -hmm. music. There's no doubt about it. Um, 
because that just is what feels good to me to have on, you know, mm-hmm. in the background. It's like familiar, you know. Makes, yeah. Um, I get it. But what I say to people sometimes when they're like, my image has dramatically changed over the years. I've had very short hair, beard, no beard. Da, da, mm-hmm. um, that's just the way I've been. And Well, your hair looks amazing. Oh, thank you. Just want you to tell you thank that. Thank you. It's a lot longer than the last time yes, I saw you. Thank you. That's awesome. And, but, you know. When I had a short, really short, I'd get mm-hmm. the "Come on, man, grow it back," you know, or or, and I'd be like, "Well, you know, go put on your your spandex from 1985. <laughs> Let's see how that feels for you, you know, or or go back to the woman you were with in the right. 80s, or right. you know, come on, we all kind of move forward and evolve, and or that I, really trendy shirt you were wearing back in the yeah. 80s, you know, oh what I'm yeah, saying? for sure. But I get, but but yet I I say that, but I get it, yeah, because. Their connection mm-hmm. to my music is that. Is that. And so, of course, now with me, you know, growing my hair out, that was just a personal decision, just like cutting it would be. Right. And it just sort of is like, okay, well, let's just see how far I want to take this. And and as I post things online, of course, oh, you grew it back. Oh, you know, my life is complete again, you know, or something. <laughs> and it's just funny to yeah, me. Yeah, that you know. is funny. But... I get it though. It's a connection. It's a, it's like Steven Tyler hasn't really, yeah, he's gotten older, but his image hasn't changed dramatically since the seventies. Right. Same. Yeah. Pretty much more yep. or less in the same ballpark. Same pants. Same, same pants. Shirts. More, same Always, hair, more or less. You more know. or less. Yes. I I would second that. I would agree with it. Uh, so well, he's branded himself. He's kept his brand. I've gone all over the map and like you know I feel this way now. I feel that way now. I feel like it. Uh, evolution's a thing. So when are you headed back to Norway? I'm headed back at the uh, in the middle of February okay. to start doing some. We have some headline shows for the 40th anniversary of nice. me joining the band um, and Knights of the New Thunder. We're calling it 40 Years of Thunder. Um, That's cool. And uh, and we have uh, Monsters of Rock Cruise. Oh, cool! Um, coming up as right after that. Yes. And when's uh, it happening? Is that like a in February or in March? Or it's what? early March. Okay. Yeah, okay. so I'll go over and do some shows in February, and then we'll go straight to the Monsters thing. And then I've got some acoustic shows, and then I go back. Uh, we have we have shows scattered throughout the mm-hmm. year, and I think at this point we're and, – and a record to make, some kind of record. We don't know yet if it's going to be an EP at first mm-hmm. and with a record to follow later. Sure. But we're just kind of digging into that now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I love that. Well, I, Very I just, cool. Yeah, so cool. Um, Tony, thank you so much thank for you. being a guest. And thank you for this having is, me. Yeah, of course. This is something that we've looked forward to for a while. Before we, yeah, you know, kind of close this or take it to a landing. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I just got to <laughs> say my buddy's name, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to look at the camera when I say this, I think. Oh, Lord. Jay Palermo. Oh. I'm with one of your favorites, man. Tony Harnell, Jay Palermo. <laughs> just had to do that to you, buddy. All right. Okay, <laughs> nice. babe, take it over. Oh, my God. All right. Well, Tony, thank you so much for coming to hang out with us anytime. Thank you for the lovely mocktail. Of course. And uh, And, uh, you're always welcome here. Thank Um, you. And I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you, guys. I love you guys anytime. Anytime. Congratulations on your new show. Thank you. All right. And we'll talk to you soon. All All right. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, you've just watched another episode of Nashville on the Rocks. And if you've liked what you've seen, please hit the subscribe button. 
Thanks. We'll see you next time.